so we're not doing that thing where everybody stands and we're not doing that every week, I guess. The honeymoon is over quick over here, isn't it? Goodness. Uh, good morning. It's great to see you all. Uh, we have this great privilege today to have all these wonderful, beautiful, obedient children with us today. You know, isn't this great? Let me remove a heavy burden from us parents. This isn't Facebook, where we just get to see little cute pictures of you all laughing together and having good times and never get to see you yelling at your children on the way to church or something, okay? We know your children are probably going to, I don't know, be loud or disrupt in some way. Uh, That's because they're kids, and so we don't expect them to act like adults because they're kids. So that's okay. So I'm not up here like, I can't believe that kid just made a noise, you know? That's all right. Uh, Since the kids are with us, kids, I have a question for you, and I want you to yell the answer as loud as you possibly can, okay? Are you with me? Here is the question. When you sin, is Jesus mad at you? What? No? Wow. Jesus must be pretty great if he loves us even when we mess up and sin, huh? Isn't that great? Yeah, all right. Well, thanks for, thanks for being a part of this, guys. <laughs> you can go back to your iPad or whatever you're working on. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in, uh, continuing here in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have a, a Bible, you can grab that and look there. If you don't, there should be one laying around. And those ones laying around, if you don't have a Bible, take that with you and make it your Bible now. That is completely fine. Um, Before we do, also, since we have all the children here, which means the people that help with the children are in here as well. So if you serve with the kids in any way, would you please stand for a moment? Hey, thank you so much for being an example. Yes. Thank you so much for uh, the example that you are of sacrifice and love and um, yeah, ministering to the least of these. Uh, that's that's a, a lot of Jesus stuff. So we're thankful to have you as a part of our congregation to, to do that. And just so you know, it's not like I think it's, um, hey, let's get these kids out of here so the real ministry can happen. You know, you guys are, are a part of the real ministry that's happening as you teach our kids about Jesus and teach them more about what it means to, to love and treasure him. So thank you so much for the service that you do to this church. Uh, we appreciate it very much. We're also in a season of Lent, which means uh, a lot of us are probably giving up something or fasting from something. Um, I gave up not eating chocolate. I gave that up completely um, over Lent, so that's good. Uh, I encourage you to, to be involved in this season of Lent where we prepare ourselves for Easter. We're not prepared for Easter. You know, Easter is a big deal. Jesus comes back from the dead, and sin and Satan and death are all defeated, and we are free. By God, we are free because of Jesus. And so we're not really ready for that, the amazingness of that message. And so we need this season of Lent to kind of prepare us. So we think about our sin. We ask God to reveal more of our sin. We Engage in self-sacrifice as Jesus did before he went to the cross, the ultimate self-sacrifice. So I encourage you to to be involved in those sort of things. Remember, the good news is that Sundays during Lent are like mini-Easters. 
So what happens, it, it's like a mini feast day to prepare you. So it's like self-sacrifice for the week, Sunday, feast day. So whatever you're, if you're fasting from something or whatever you might be doing, Sunday, go hog wild uh, and practice what we'll do after, after Easter, okay? So enjoy today. I'm going to be watching basketball like a madman. Um, all right, Matthew chapter 5. Let's uh, stand together out of respect for God's Word, and, and I'll read Matthew five, thirteen through 16. Matthew five, thirteen through 16. This is Jesus speaking. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do you light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. God, we are ready to receive your word. We're ready to receive uh, what you have to say to us today. So please speak to our weary hearts. Speak to our, um, some of us, a uh, heart that is maybe not ready to receive your word. Would you soften it? And we know you've been preparing us this week to receive this word. And so we're, we're very much looking forward to feasting on the word that you have for us today. Um, so do a work in our hearts and draw us near to you. Give us affections that are, that are stirred towards Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, last week we looked at the Beatitudes, right? The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to remind you, those are not commands. Those are blessings that Jesus is stating. So that is not a command saying, if you do this, you will be in my kingdom. It's a pronouncement of blessing on a certain type of people, and we looked at that last week. And if you missed it, it was, uh, I'm sorry, two weeks ago we looked at that. And if you missed it, um, then you can spend some time listening to it. Or even if you did listen to it, if you just liked it so much you want to listen to it again, that's okay too. Uh, so here's the summary statement of, of what we're going to look at today, I think. And that is, the least, the lost, and the last, which, which I'm taking, taking those three and kind of saying, all right, the that kind of describes the people of the Beatitudes, okay? If we had to summarize who they were, let's, let's summarize them as these three things. It is the least, the last, the lost, and the last are evidence of the living Christ and his gospel of the kingdom. Those people who you pronounce blessings on, those people are evidence of the living Christ and his gospel of the kingdom. In other words, if you, if, if, Plainfield wants to know if Juliet, if Bolingbroke, if wherever you live, if they want to know something about who God is and Christ is their Savior, they ought to be able to come here and to engage with us and say, I know something now about this Savior. I think he's in and amongst that community. That's what Jesus is getting at here in these few verses on this idea of salt and light. How will the world know that Christ is Savior? Through these communities of light that are scattered all over the world called local churches, where his life is manifest in these people. 
and they live in a way that displays that light to the nations. That's a crazy plan, but it's a beautiful plan. And so here he's got for us an invitation after he gives us the blessing of the Beatitudes, and then he's going to give us with the salt, I kind of see that as a, as a statement of judgment, or you, you might say it's kind of the bad news of death, and then he gives us the, the good news of recreation, and then finally an invitation at the end. So that's going to be the structure of this. So let's look at the bad news first, because I know you guys, if I gave you the option, you'd go with the bad news first. So I'll just go ahead and give that to you. That's how Jesus structured this thing. Verse 15, Jesus starts by presenting us with the problem. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Awesome. Thanks, Jesus. But here it comes. If the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So when you look at the, that, those verses, do you see kind of the, the bad news there? Like, you're the salt of the earth. Great, but you've lost your saltiness. And guess what? When salt loses its saltiness, it has absolutely no purpose. It's now kind of white gravel or something. It has no purpose whatsoever. You just throw it out. Now, this can't really happen. Salt can't really lose its saltiness, but that's the beauty of this uh, illustration by this preacher who's really good. His name is Jesus, and uh, he really thought through this illustration, apparently, because it works so well because he's saying, if that could happen, can you see how, how that would be completely useless? Do you see how there would be going, no going back from that? Do you see how there would be no restoration to that? If salt has lost its saltiness, it can't be restored. He's saying that you were meant to be the salt of the earth. And in Genesis chapter 1, we have this beautiful picture of God with his people. And it is a picture. If you look at Adam and Eve, their life is a declaration. God is love. That's what their life is. And then chapter 3 comes, and the fall comes, and sin enters, and it's marred, and they're cast out east of Eden. Now we have a problem. The salt has lost its saltiness. It can't fulfill its purpose anymore. Now humans cannot declare God is love because they're separated from him. We have a problem. This is bad news. It can't be fixed. We can't make ourselves salt again. You know, there's no, there's no book like four steps to going back to being salt after you're not salt. And there's no self-help book like that. It's just, it's done. It's over. It's really bad news. It's dead salt. Is that the only, only message Jesus has? I hope not. There is more to come. Uh, I, I used to work construction for a time, and, and there would be this thing that some of the guys would do with the younger guys, right? If they maybe cut a board too short, they would say something like, hey, why don't you go out to my truck? It's all good. Get my board, uh, board lengthener, you know, my board stretcher. Get that, and then we'll just stretch this board, and it'll be fine. And then you just watch this, you know, little high school guy or something go out and look f- through a truck for something that doesn't exist, right? And it's the same thing. There is no salt restorer, like saltiness, get back in her. You know, it, it doesn't exist. That's what Jesus is saying. It doesn't exist. It can't happen. It's dead salt. It's over. This message, a little bit, at least right here, reminds me of uh, from the movie, which maybe you kids will, will perk up now, but from the movie, um, 
monsters versus aliens, where you have this, uh, this guy, what's his name, Galaxar, and uh, he says something like this to the humans of Earth as he, he's the villain that kind of overtakes them, right? Humans of Earth, I can't do it without doing his voice, I don't know what it is. Humans of Earth, I come in peace. You need not fear me, I mean you no harm. However, it is important to note that most of you will not survive the next 24 hours. The few of you that do survive will be enslaved and experimented on. You should not in any way take this personally. It's just business. So to recap, I come in peace, I mean you no harm, and you will all die. (laughs) Well, fortunately, that's not the message that Jesus has for us, although this first part sounds maybe a bit like that because it is the bad news. I think he's saying we're dead in our sins and trespasses, something like that. Well, let's have some good news, shall we? Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. Well, that sounds like much better news than being dead salt, doesn't it? Uh, the Jewish people, would have, that would have brought to mind some things about being the light of the world. That was what they were called to, to be the light of the world that, that displayed who God was. Right, so we have Isaiah 49.6. I will make you as a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So do you see this was something that has been used before, this idea of light, and that would have conjured up in the hearers of this message something. Like, yes, that's what, that's what Israel was supposed to be, although it didn't quite work out like that, did it? You know, it was kind of like, oh, they're going to do it. No, whoa, no, complaining? No. Uh, Moses goes up to, to get the law, comes back, they're... They're worshiping idols? What is happening, right? It doesn't quite happen. And then Jesus turns to, remember who he's talking to, the people he pronounced the blessing upon, the, the least, the last, the lost, and he's saying to them, you are the light of the world. Now, if I'm there and I'm part of the religious clan, I'm going to say, excuse me, no, we are the light of the world. And we've been keeping ourselves quite pretty over here as the light of the world, I'll have you know. Those ragamuffins over there are not the light of the world, Jesus. That's what Jesus says. You are the light of the world. Well, how in the world can dead salt be light of the world? I think the first thing we have to understand is the the place from which the light comes. This isn't a, a, a light that um, is really inherent in them. This is a foreign light. It's an alien light that comes and resides in their soul and makes them the light of the world. And so you can hear some, some of the other writers in the Scriptures who say things like, in John 1, it, in Him was the life And the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And even Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. And so this makes sense when we look back to chapter 4 just earlier, and Matthew gave us something before the Beatitudes about this idea of light shining in the darkness. Right? And he said, and he was quoting Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, the way of the sea, I went to seminary, I know it, I'm just, you know, being 
kidding. The way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee, and the Gentiles, the people, who, which people? The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. It's the dead salt people, the people with zero light, they've seen a great light. How dark is it? Well, it's something of like the shadow of death, he says. A light has dawned. Now, Isaiah knew nothing about the name of that light, but we know that light has a name, and his name is Jesus. And the light has come, and it has dawned, and it has taken residence in the soul of those who come and say, I have no righteousness, I have nothing to offer, please come, save. Give me a a righteousness that is foreign to me, that is not inherent in me. And this recreation comes as Jesus comes and inhabits a people by His Spirit and lives in them and lives through them. So the source of the light is not in these people. The source of the light is foreign. It comes and dwells within these people. Secondly, then, we really need to understand the distance the light has come. It's come all the way to the lowest of the low. He's he's bent down low. Couldn't get any lower than to these dead salt, lost, last, least people. And they realize that he's stooped low. Uh, What do they bring to the equation? What do we bring to the equation? Sin. That's what we bring to the equation. That's what we bring to the table. Hey, I've got some sin here. Can you do anything with that? Sure, I can die for it and drown it in my blood and give you righteousness. How's that sound? I'll take it. Thank you. If you if you understand the 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 lowness that he's come to, to save a people like us, that causes something in you, which I think is why those people become the light of the world. It, you know, it's like that old um, TV show. Do you remember the house building show um, where they would make a house for people? What is it called? Uh, Extreme Home Makeover. There you go. It's in my notes. I should have looked there first. Extreme Home Makeover. Um, do you remember this show? Right? And do you remember the elation of the people who would get this house? Right? A lot of times it was someone who they didn't have a house, they got kicked out of their house, they got whatever. They lived in a trailer that was breaking down or, or whatever it was. And then they gave them this huge, amazing house. What was their reaction? It was like, oh, cool, a house. I like houses. No, it was like, oh my gosh, they were jumping and falling on the ground and crying and dancing around, and they keep saying, I can't believe this is my house, I can't believe this is my house, this is unbelievable, it's so amazing, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and they're going crazy. Well, imagine another show called, like, Remodeling Millionaires' Mansions, right? And the millionaires are off, you know, at their private island for uh, the, the month, and a crew comes in and remodels their bathroom. And imagine what happens and the reaction that they have. They come home, oh, wow, that's great. I like how you, how you took that old granite and you put some new granite. That's really neat. That's really cool. Oh, you took those stained cabinets and you put, made them white. Though That's a good idea. I like that, right? Do you see the difference in the reaction? Why is there a difference in the reaction? It's because one people came from a place so low they couldn't get any lower. 
And they were brought to a place that was unbelievable. And the other person, it was just like a little lift. And so that is why Jesus says to us, the dead salt, the lowest, the least, the last, and he says, you are the light of the world. Because you know of redemption like no one else knows redemption. I didn't come for people who were doing pretty good and to bump them up just a little bit. I came for the people who were desperate. I came for the poor in spirit. I came for the meek and those who mourn. I came for those people. And those people are going to be the light of the nations because they know something about my work and what I've done. And it's bursting from the seams. Small response comes from kind of the small movement there. And that's when Jesus comes then with, he's given us the the bad news and then the good news, and now he has an invitation for us in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What a surprising way to do this thing. To take this dead salt to create something completely new out of it, to give it new life, your own very life, into this community, and then to say, now go be light to the world. Communities of dead people made alive by Jesus. That's how the world is going to know who Jesus is. Communities of dead people who've been made alive by Jesus. Welcome to Christ's community, you know? Are you dead? Good, come on in. We're being made alive together by Christ. It's wonderful. You should join us. The church life together is a parable of the statement, Jesus has come to save sinners. That statement on paper doesn't have the grittiness to it. It doesn't have the flesh to it that it does when you come in and you spend time in our homes when we spend time out in the community with people who don't know Jesus and our neighbors, and, and when we do that, they, they hear something, and they see something. And the message that they hear and the message that they see is Jesus has come to save sinners. And that message comes through our life together as a church, as a community. Eugene Peterson says this, the church is a colony of heaven in a country of death. Another guy, R. Page Shelton, says it this way, the blessings are given to the church by God, at the attitudes, so that the world may look at the church and think of what a kind, compassionate, loving, just, merciful, and gracious God the church has in her midst. church, their life together, our life together is a parable of the statement, Jesus has come to save sinners. So as we we live this life, notice that we, we ought to be, this isn't like, hey, let's huddle in this building and just wait for Jesus to come back. It says that our light will be seen by others. That must mean we're around them, you know? It must mean we're spending time with them, those who don't know Jesus. And so what might they say? They might say something like this. Hey, look at this community. And, and when you hear these descriptions I'm about to read, I want you to hear 
gospel language, not just uh, uh, characteristics of us, but the fact that it's connected to the gospel. Look at this community, they might say, how gracious they are, how sacrificial they are, how generous. Look how they reconcile with each other so quickly. Look how they forgive each other, and not just on the first offense, but on like the fifth and like the twentieth offense. They still continue to forgive one another. Look how they serve the needy and the broken in our city. Look how they don't hide their sin. I think they might actually believe that Jesus is sufficient for their sin. It just may be. And what would we say to that? We'd say, well, Jesus is living in us and through us. And so that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the life of Christ that's taken up residence in our soul. Praise be to God who would do that through people like us. In the movie Bobby, which is a story about uh, Robert Kennedy's assassination, there's this wonderful scene where the, the head chef and all the people who work in the kitchen are sitting there eating, I suppose, after they've already served uh, those in the White House. And they're sitting there eating, and, and the African-American head chef is, is kind of at the head of the table, and there's uh, um, uh, a, a Latino guy sitting over here, and he's kind of angry and saying, like, listen, our people will take back the land, we'll get California back, and we'll be back to our people. And the head chef, who's played, played by Lawrence Fishburne, is just kind of sitting there quietly and patiently. And after Miguel is done with his rant, he says, uh, Miguel, you know what your problem is? You've got no poetry. You've got no light. You've got no one saying, dang that Miguel. I want what he's got. And silence. And that's sort of Jesus' message to us, and that's what he's calling us to, to, to be the poetry, to be the light and the life of Christ that other people see and say, I don't know what it is about those people over at Christ's community, but I, I know I want some of that, whatever it is. And we say... Jesus is wonderful. As the church, we are really the only authentic community where sinners can exist, face their sin, and not be killed by it, but be thankful to Jesus that he saved us. We're welcoming other sinners to be honest about their sinfulness and to cling to a Christ who is sufficient even for them. Listen to the words of Nadia Boltz-Weber She has a way of putting things quite bluntly, so forgive her, I suppose. In other words, you're a broken jerk, and Jesus trusts you. Don't wait until you feel as though you have met the conditions of being holy. In other words, do you see Jesus? He says, you are the salt. You you are the light of the world. He doesn't say, hey, you could be the light of the world if you work on these five things. You are. Trust that Jesus knows what he is doing and that you already are salt and light and love and grace. Don't try to be it. Know that you already are. And then, for the love of God, take that seriously. The world needs it. So if you're broken and needy, which you are, thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. If you're broken and needy, Jesus has good news for you today, and that is he has life for your dead soul. He has life that renews us and that gives us hope. 
He has the answer to our dead salt status, and that is life in Him. What a beautiful Savior. Let's uh, all be thankful and continue to worship Him for a work like that amongst us. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for uh, the work that you have done on our behalf, that you have rescued us and saved us despite ourselves, that you have not waited for us to make ourselves better as if we ever could, but instead you came and provided all that we needed in the righteous life and the payment for sin, and you died for us and rose in triumphant victory to give us all that we ever wanted but never thought we could have. May it stir in us a deep love for you and love for our neighbor, and may we live as this salt of uh, this light of the world as you've called us to be. Do that in and through us. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.